It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. I'm Brian Whitman with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. And this is Dr. Stu's Podcast, available on iTunes. Subscribe to the feed right there on iTunes. Give the guy five stars. He's a doctor, for goodness sake. Write him a nice review. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, ask Stu at gmail.com. And while you're here at the website, drstuespodcast.com, check out the YouTube videos. You can link over and read the blogs and many blogs that Dr. Stu has. Good to see you, as always, my friend, Dr. Stu. It's great to see great to see you, Brian. Great to be back again, and uh, I'm even more thrilled because producer Randy yes. is back in his usual location. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. In case, it, it feels you know good to be back. You know what? Let's go back right now. We'll take a break and we'll listen to what happened to Randy last week. Just a, a quick little montage. He was trying to register for Obamacare, and this is what it sounded like. It ended with a very tragic, self-inflicted gunshot wound. If you missed the last Dr. Stu's podcast, here's uh, the tragedy that unfolded. Yeah, Randy, how's it going? I mean, well, hold on a second. You're on page 36. I'm looking at a picture I, here. It I seems can't. to be very multicultural. It, there's is, an Asian person. There's a, it seems to it's be It's all diverse, and it's still not making any sense. I really, I can't... I, Oh, no. Hold on. Uh, uh, He's down, boys. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on one second, please. Dr. Stu, do you have your cell phone? Uh, Yes, I have it right here, Brian. Uh We're here in Valley Village. Right. Randy Wang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does the loud podcast. He shot himself. He was trying to register for Obamacare. I don't know what happened. He got to page 37. There's an Asian kid leaning against a tree and a Sikh woman with an IV in her. They look like they got their Obamacare. He killed himself. You better get somebody over here. Plus, he's got to hit buttons. The show's over in like 10 minutes. I got Dr. Stu here. I don't know what the F's going on. Goodbye. Wow. Wow, buddy. Uh, Wow. I mean, I'm a little emotional. um, I'm glad you're well. Yeah. Thank you. I am. Yeah, I'm sorry. I told you, Brian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I told you my initial assessment was just a flesh wound. Yeah, but there's a lot of blood, you know. I mean, yeah, it was a lot sorry, of, yeah. I, I got a little emotional. I know. I'm, I'm the blood spot is uh, still on the carpeting. Here. How do you get that off the floor? Because it well, really. Now that's a good question because people always ask us about when they talk about home birth. They want to know, you know, isn't there blood everywhere? Like blood on the walls, and you know they've seen the flasher movies and they're thinking that blood's going to go spurting across the room. It actually doesn't do that. Mm. When we get blood on the carpeting, well, first of all, we do our best not to get blood on the carpeting. You shout Rand- it out. Randy, is, Randy is, should have put shout? down. He sh- no, he should have put down a, a blue chucks before he shot himself. Next but, time I plan to kill myself because of the Obamacare well, website, I'll make sure to lay down a towel. Yeah, you lay down. No, not a towel because it's going to soak through the towel. You need to use a chuck, which is like uh, waterproof on the back side. Oh, okay. It's called a blue chucks. Well, they're blue. That's the ones we use, but because uh, they're colored blue, you, you can use a uh, puppy pee liner if you want to. <laughs> wow. Okay. Are you feeling okay, Doctor? Yes. 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 No. Okay. I, all right. Okay. Well, fine. they're probably cheaper than uh, okay. Right. Than and buying the uh, the adult. They're the adult uh, in the adult diaper section. I would buy. imagine from the doulas to the midwives to the doctors to the doctor to the uh, mommy to the daddy, there must be concerns sometimes that we got some marks on the carpet. Yeah, but you know how you get blood out of the carpet. I mean, every every good housewife. And house husband. I'm neither. And midwife knows this. I know you. I know none of you. You, you two right. guys. I'm looking at the least two domestic guys I think I've ever known in my entire life. I would life. never know what to do. Uh, hydrogen peroxide. Really? That's it? Hydrogen peroxide. How much, Dr. Stu, on well, a sponge? You, you pour it on and you watch it bubble up. You know, if you've ever seen a movie where like the, the a miracle occurs, I used to remember there's in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Remember when Sean Connery got shot? Yeah, I'll show the shot. Shot in the chest there. <laughs> You remember that? But I was still very, very sexy. And they took the... He was sexy. And they took the holy water 
from the uh, Holy Grail, and they poured it on, and the little thing bubbled up, and it all of a sudden went away. They just poured peroxide on it? I think they poured peroxide on some dried blood, and it looked like it bubbled up and went away. Even with peroxide dripping off my nipples, I look better than a shanksha. Yeah, he's a very sexy man. Thank you, Sean. He's great. Now, we have here at... Yeah, go. No, 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 I'm just saying. So that's how you do it, and then you wipe that up, and then if there's still a little bit left, you put a little more on. Because you should. By the way, I'm writing a letter about the crew that responded here. You heard them on the tape a moment ago. Yeah. I had a little problem with one of those. I think they dropped you. Yeah, that uh, must be the other bump on my head. I'm still not feeling great. You know, I never made it to the emergency room. What? You didn't? I thought they they, I, they said you they were leaving here and taking you down the street. Well, what look, happened? I, I regained consciousness in the ambulance, oh. and I looked at the guys, and I said, look, I'm not really covered for emergency visits. So. Because well, I, this happened while I was trying to get but, Obamacare. But, but look, I'm, I'm right around the corner from Kaiser, and the urgent care opens at 7 in the morning, and that's free. So I had him drop me off at the corner. I sat there and waited, and uh, 7 a.m., the door opened. I was good to go. <laughs> How long did you sit on the street for, like a, like a ho- hobo? About six hours. But it saved me $250 minimum. That's a big saving. I don't think you're getting good health care. I'm, I I'm, think you should I'm, complete the registration for Obamacare. I can't go through that again. By the way, oh. you know, there is no pre-existing condition, so you can't get excluded for being somebody who shot themselves in the past. Just so okay, you know so that. They're, they're still going to cover me for they shooting have to co- myself they have to, Even future. if you shot yourself again, right. they can't say, you know what, he's a habitual shooter, mm. so you are covered in the future. You know, in all seriousness, I actually had a situation four years ago where I chose urgent care over the emergency room because I was in this apartment with some friends yeah. recording a show right? and started to feel incredible, unbelievably killing stomach pains. Like, I felt like my stomach was on fire. I was sweating. I was, was trying it to in sleep. The, in the middle of one of my shows? No. This is uh, is the middle of the afternoon. I'm freaking out. I'm, like, sweating. I'm in, and it, it's, I can't even move him in so much pain. Wow. So I asked my friends if they can drive me to the hospital. Mm. We get about... Five minutes away when I start thinking, oh, crap, my bank account's not really full right now. I don't think I can really afford this. See, these are not the fears people should have when they're in pain and need medical help. But it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and the urgent care opens at 3. So I say, why don't we just wait outside, ride this out, see how it goes. I mean, if it's really bad, the, urge- the emergency room's right there, but let's just wait a little bit. And then we waited about another 10, 15 minutes, and... Then I had gas, and it all went away. <laughs> well, see, this is this is the model by which uh, which the Obamacare uh, uh, system is going to flourish. Is I did. I saw a bumper sticker that said Obamacare farted out. <laughs> no, not exactly that model. They're going to delay your care so long that you're either going to it's either going to go away or you're going to die, and so it's not going to cost anybody anything. People are going to anyway. be afraid to go see their doctors because it's so expensive. And what actually happened to me, if anyone wants to No, the no. doctors aren't going to be that expensive because the doctors are going to get screwed on what they get paid anyway. It's the, it's the high-tech stuff that's going to be expensive. Yeah. Just so you know, I have to defend my, my, the fact that I'm going to get paid nothing yeah. for what I do. What actually happened to me with the uh, stomach pains and everything, yeah. Uh, yeah. at 25 years old, this idiot never knew that you're not supposed to eat vitamins on an empty stomach. Uh, well, live and learn, tore my, up my insides. Live and no, I, you know, I didn't even I didn't know that that you yeah. can't Flintstone. You can't have chewable Flintstones. Chewable Flintstones stuff. are okay, but like the pill ones, the ones you get at GNC, like I get some A's, some B's, some C's, some D's. I did all those one morning on an empty stomach, and they tore up my insides. And I would I would assume registering for Obamacare online should also not be done with an empty stomach or an unsecured firearm in the house. Right? No, definitely not. I locked shame up my gun back you. in my uh, safe. Okay, shame on you. What happened here? 
last week having that gun out accessible. You think if I knew Dr. Stu knew you had a gun in this way, you think I would you think as much as I love you, I would have let you embark on registering for Obamacare insurance with a gun in the house? I thought it was going to be OK. I, th- I thought he said the glitches are over. Don't shout at me. I didn't write the legislation. Uh, I'm just I, waiting to see what's in it. I would have been more afraid he would have shot one of us. For sure. <laughs> and given the choice, by the way, I think you'd take me out. Right, I know. I'm, uh, oh, you I, do know. That was my implication. Uh, okay, doctor. You were a little slow there. Okay, yeah, so right. were you unanimous. Next time when I point it at my cheek, I'm going to stand next to you. Okay. I tried to help. I was. Mo- <laughs> I fought with that fat guy who came in here, was pushing you, trying to help you. I don't know if he had words for me in the ambulance. All right, boys, but, boys, boys. We have, we have he some dropped him, Stu. He have, dropped him. We have some, you heard it. We have some mail All right, we do. that we want to get to today uh, because right. I think today we're going to do at least one you know, we'll probably drag on because we've got a really good topic today. So, Brian. And I want well, to celebrate this, the 20th Dr. Stu's podcast. Number 20 yeah, right here. Woo! All right. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com if you have a letter. People coming by. Oh, yeah, we're Mr. Postman. Yeah, we're Mr. Postman. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, that's your key. Mr. Postman, that's key. I'll tell you didn't mail you letter, but you sent it on email. So there was no postman involved. That was cool. Eric Cartman, go back to your room. All right. Kick ass, Dr. Steve. All right, so here we go. The uh, the letter comes from Bethany, and I won't give her last name because anonymity is guaranteed. And it, it starts on an upbeat note with an exclamation point. Hello, Dr. Stu, with an exclamation point. <laughs> oh, God. I am a doula, a placenta encapsulator, and a midnight lover. Well, no, that's a, it's a song, isn't it? I'm a lover, I'm a smoker. And I'm a placenta joker. encapsulator. Right. No, let me be honest and, and, and respectful to Bethany. Hello, Dr. Stu. I am a doula, placenta encapsulator, and home birth mama of two from Huntington Beach. That's what she writes. I'm also working on my CBE. What is that, Dr. Stu? What is CBE? Oh, now you're now you. I'm cornered now. <laughs> oh, see, I don't know what I thought that was a medical thing. Let's see. It is a well. Let's see. Uh, hmm. Childbirth educator. Cool. All Woo! right. She's working on that. <laughs> and that one out of the hat. <laughs> she says, as I work on topics, one that came up for me, and a question I get asked often is, "quote What about hemorrhage at home birth?" I myself had a fourth stage hemorrhage with my first that required transfer. Thank goodness for my midwife. She writes. It didn't scare me off a second home birth, but we did change protocol for number two, which went spectacularly. Bethany writes, I think, though, that it can be a somewhat common complication, so I would love to hear a podcast on it and maybe the management of third stage at home compared to hospital. If I come up with another topic, I'll be sure to let you know I really enjoy listening to your podcast. They make my day and my job go faster. She listens at work. Uh, best Bethany. Bethany, thank you for your letter. A real important question, Dr. Stewart. Yeah, it's actually a great question because when we talk about home birthing, uh, everybody always wants to know about complications. And although we start with you know, healthy cherry-picked women, uh, we, it, complications rarely occur in labor itself or even at the time of delivery. It's most common complications will occur postpartum. And again, they're not that common, but they are of the rare ones. They're the most common. And the one that people worry about the most is postpartum hemorrhage, which is uh, described as you know excessive bleeding uh, after delivery of the baby. Now it can be, the labor is divided into stages and I'm not gonna get real technical about that, but the first stage of labor is when active labor begins or some people think it's when you're four centimeters. Other people wanna redefine it to be seven centimeters until you're completely dilated. The second stage of labor is from 
the time you start pushing until the time the baby emerges from the birth canal. The third stage of labor is from the time the baby emerges from the birth canal until the placenta separates and then delivers. And what uh, Bethany mentioned earlier is she had bleeding in her fourth stage of labor, which is something that's often not talked about, and that's considered the time period that it goes after the delivery of the placenta. Some people want to say it's 30 minutes. Other people might say it's an hour. There's no real strong definition for it. But it's a time when uh, blood loss can occur, and especially if you're not paying attention to it or you're not actively uh, observing the woman or doing certain things to prevent that from happening. Um, most births go without a hitch, and the way home birth is done is actually different from what happens in hospitals. Hospitals are very involved in using something called active management of, of the third stage. Uh, there is evidence in the literature that shows that active management of the third stage actually does decrease blood loss and does decrease the need for transfusion by a statistically significant amount over passive or just observation. When a home birth is happening, Dr. Stu, or is the mechanism, forgive me, I'm a layperson, is the mechanism, is the machinery there to allow for a transfusion for mom? No, I mean, the, we can start IVs at home and we can give IV fluids at home for somebody that is dehydrated or exhausted or is bleeding heavily, but we don't obviously have blood products at home. We don't transfuse platelets right. or red blood cells or anything like that at home. So we don't have those things at home. And, and, and most of the time, the midwife, my midwife colleagues like to be hands-off. So they do, it's not correct terminology, but for the sake of our podcast, I'll call it passive management of the third stage, which is to allow the placenta to separate in its own good time and to come out when the mother feels like it's ready to come out and then to use breastfeeding or possibly some herbal remedies to help uh, assist the uterus in contracting because the uterus stops bleeding not from clotting it stops bleeding by contracting in reading this letter from bethany again if you have a question for dr stew here on dr stew's podcast it's ask dr stew at gmail.com that's ask dr stew at gmail.com uh it, it's really it's it's um, what she writes is is quite uh I really noticed it, that she suffered fourth stage hemorrhaging, but that did not scare her off a second home birth. I mean, that is a person who is obviously committed to the concept of having the baby, having her baby at home. I think a lot of ladies uh, would be scared off after something as traumatic as what she seemed to describe there. Yeah, I think so. And I think certainly a lot of uh, uh significant others or spouses yeah. or uh you know husbands whatever you want to call them these days <laughs> they all have different names but but uh would, would scare them and and then it might they say honey i don't want to go through that again yeah that was too much blood for me to watch that was too scary for me to watch however again if in the second time you're planning active management of that stage if you're going to do something where you intervene the likelihood of that happening is is decreased significantly so it is a choice that that women will make some women would choose to not go through that but they want the experience of delivering at home because they don't want the meddling that goes on in the hospital so much that they have a plan with their midwife to deal with the second or, th I mean, excuse me, the third or the fourth stage, uh, all set in action. And one of those things that they would do, which would be different, is they would probably manage the third stage differently. Instead of waiting for the placenta to separate, they might do a little uh, fundal massage, a little gentle traction on the cord. Um, in the hospital protocols for active management of labor, they give a shot of Pitocin, mm. which is a synthetic oxytocin, causes the uterus to contract of about 10 units into the um, thigh at the time of the delivery of the anterior shoulder. 
so that it by the time that it circulates relatively quickly and so it helps the uterus to contract and decreases the time that it takes for the placenta to separate we, we, yeah, yeah, please yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I, I could keep going. So interrupt well, me periodically because otherwise the whole thing will well, be a lecture. Well, no, I, I, no, look, this information is very interesting. That's why I love doing this podcast. And I, and I know people love listening to it because uh, we've all been patients. But uh, how often do you get to hear the doctor's perspective, what, what, the, what the event was like, what the birth was like, what the office visit was like from the perspective of the doctor? This is really uh, very compelling stuff to listen to. She writes here about a hemorrhage, uh, specifically a fourth stage hemorrhage at a home birth and then she uh, you know writes that she went second time had her second baby at home since we're talking about and I know this is not sort of when we talk about these problems uh, a crisis if you will that can occur at a home birth this does not exactly fit very comfortably under the umbrella of promoting home birthing which I know you do and and you've been your advocacy is very genuine and it's very eloquent and I think you've done a lot of great work while we're having this conversation, let's talk informed consent. Let's talk about what uh, what are some of the other uh, more common, more serious things that might potentially go wrong at a home birth. Well, you where know, you might be less prepared than if you were at the hospital. Is that a fair question? Well, anything that goes drastically wrong at home is you're going to be less prepared for, for the most part, than if it's in a hospital. But things like the things that commonly can go wrong, midwives and, and home birth physicians like myself are prepared for, and we do carry with us things to make the uterus contract, and there are different, several different medications we carry with us. We do carry with us the ability to start an IV and hang fluids. We do carry with us things to um, gently resuscitate a baby that might not be responding, uh, uh, you know, not, may, may not be pinking up or toning up as fast as we'd like. Mm -hmm. You know, we carry oxygen. We know how to do uh, infant CPR. We know how to do neonatal resuscitation. We all carry certification cards from that. We take a renewal, I think, sure. every two years. Right. That sort of thing. Those are the things that, that can go wrong drastically that, you know, there's very little else that goes wrong suddenly in a labor that is not meddled with, in a labor that's not induced in a labor that's allowed to proceed as nature intended. You're not going to see fetal distress in a, in a very, uh, it's extremely rare. And yes, if there is some sort of fetal distress in labor, that can happen at home. So there's, there, are, there are certainly risks, and every home birth midwife goes through a very lengthy informed consent process. We spend a lot of time at each visit talking about these sorts of things, the things that can go wrong, and how every, we manage them. And every engaged mom is aware of them too. Every mom engaged in the process is aware. Well, right? home, home birth moms are far more in, aware of the risks of a home birth than hospital birth, mom, birth moms are ever informed of or are aware of the risks of hospital birth. That's birthing. a great point. That's interesting that you say that. The because way you say that's They're more well-educated because right. they have to be. They have to, they have to look into it. And even if there's somebody who just hates hospitals or has a hospital phobia and says, I'm having my home birth, their midwife isn't going to let them not be aware of these, this information. They have to go through the consent process. It's part of being a good practitioner is to give people the risks and benefits of all their choices, including home versus hospital birth, including active management of the third stage or active management of the fourth stage versus passive management. My particular um, method of doing things differs from what many of my midwife colleagues because I'm sort of a hybrid. I had 26 years of managing actively managing the third stage. And so when I watch a midwife give birth and they just leave the placenta there for 30 or 40 minutes and, 
and it, you know they put the baby on the chest and the baby's breastfeeding and a lot of times things come out just fine but but there are rare times where the placenta will eventually come out and behind the placenta is seven eight nine hundred cc's of blood that had been trapped in the uterus that you didn't know was there because the placenta had just been sitting there i tend to be a little more active in that i tend to to when i can see that the placenta begins to separate which is usually indicated by a gush of of blood or, or change in the mother's demeanor. She'll say, ooh, what's happening? Something else is happening. I see. She'll feel something. She'll feel something. And then I will tend to put a little traction on the cord, massage the uterus a little bit, and then I don't pull too hard. But if the placenta just easily comes out, then I will take my, my examining hand and I will actually explain to her what I'm going to be doing. I take one hand on her belly and one hand in the vagina and I milk the clots out of the uterus. And I find that if you can get the initial clots out of the uterus, it allows the uterus to contract down, which is the thing that stops the bleeding in the uterus. And if you allow that to happen, your blood loss is much less than if you sort of let the clot sit there and the uterus can't completely contract and it's a little bit atonic. And what you've described there, that has to happen for the bleeding to stop. That's how bleeding stops. Right. Yeah, the placenta, the way the placenta separates is that after the, after the pulse pressure in the core diminishes or stops, then um, there's usually some bleeding that goes on from the placenta behind it, which causes a shearing and causes the uterus to contract, which then completes the shearing of the placenta. See, now, Dr. Stu, from the other side, you describe this, and it's always so interesting to hear your expertise because you're so smart, and when you describe your your own uh, experiences, uh, really, I could listen to it all day. Hearing that, can't you understand... I can understand. I hope you can. I'll ask you. If you can't, you can't. We've disagreed before. We'll agree again in the future, I know. Randy, you're listening to uh, to it as well. It's pretty graphic stuff. You know, this idea that the placenta is going to roll now. Behind it will come lots of blood, and mom can sort of feel that. Uh, That's pretty horrific stuff. It's pretty scary stuff to see. No wonder so many moms would want something to sort of have them in a twilight, maybe checked out a little bit during the pregnancy, so they don't remember the image of that blood streaming down the leg and all of this you know that's not pleasant stuff you know brian i i really so 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 why not give a twilight sedative to a mom so she doesn't remember those aspects of the beautiful birth of a child well first of all that's that's an easy one to answer but first let me say that most moms are not bothered by it like you are okay 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 they aren't i mean first of all i accept that women menstruate every every month they're used to having blood coming out from between their legs i mean it is it is something that is normal now this is obviously a lot more than that right but they've also got something that's preoccupying them with a baby sitting on their chest yeah they're sort of a little bit busy right now enjoying themselves the euphoria the oxytocin rush that's coming out of their brain the love the the feeling the the baby trying to latch on to the they're busy with this stuff so this is sort of you know, it, let it's someone else do this, right? Yeah, it's just something we, we're explaining to them as we're going along, and we're talking. But it's not something that is prominent in their in their in their consciousness, like it would be in yours observing it. It really isn't. Well stated. If I was standing off to the side observing, I might focus on that. Where uh, the only thing mom and dad could be focusing on is this brand new baby in their arms. Well, and the other thing I do is I that's always. That's fair. I that, always, you know, that's fair. And I learn a lot from you. And I think I learned something with my and, question. And, and that my answer. midwife colleagues and I, and I've learned a lot from watching home birthing from my midwife colleagues, is that when I'm when I'm dealing with the bleeding down below or the placenta down below, I'm keeping an eye on both the mom and the dad. And I sometimes look at the dad, and he has that concerned look in his face, and I. Give him a nod and a smile and just say, you know what, everything's, this is perfectly fine. Everything's normal. This is exactly the way it's supposed to be happening. And I pay attention to them because ultimately they are the people that really matter. And we go about our business down below and 
midwives like to say that we like to be in and out of the room like ninjas because we don't really want to be <laughs> we don't really want to be noticed. Right. So when I see a father sort of give me that look or get start to get a little pale. By the way, I've had a few fathers faint. I bet when they see that much blood, or they, they see any blood at all, or just the whole idea of what's happening down there. Sure. So we keep an eye on them, and we always have an. There's always at least one or two other assistants. At the birth, there's often a doula there. We're all keeping an eye on those people. So it isn't as overwhelming as you think. And quite frankly, the mother's blood volume has increased 50 to 75%, even doubled from what it is when she's not pregnant. She has a lot of blood in there. And even if she loses what seems like a liter or two liters of blood, she may be a little woozy. She may not be able to get up without a little bit of assistance. Yeah. But she's not going to need to be hospitalized for a transfusion unless something gets really out of hand. Dr. Stu, let me ask you a question, whether it be the home birthing that you've been doing for years now with your clients at the sanctuary uh, or at hospitals for decades. Uh, it's come up before on the podcast with different guests. Um, I, I won't name them because I don't remember the exact context uh, that it came up in, so I just want to be honest. But but the, the with men watching, with male partners of pregnant ladies Watching the birth, whether it be at home or in the hospital, and all of the blood, and you mentioned the fainting, and they're unprepared, or they say, I can't do that again, and they have these images. Um, uh, one of our guests made reference to that she wanted to still look sexy for her husband who was watching the the birth. Have you dealt with, and she? I'm not going to name her, but you remember, you remember, I'm sure, who we're talking about. Uh, do, have you dealt with couples not that you deal with them when they come back. I mean, you're not a therapist. But have you dealt with the reality that some couples might deal with now with so many men watching births, so many, as you talk about all the time here on the podcast, having it in their home, watching it in the kiddie pool, in, in the, in the uh, living room? Do you find that some guys see things? Men are so visual. They see things during the, the, the beautiful moments of childbirth that later on down the line, they have a tough time getting out of their head when they go back to romanticizing their wife in a more, let me say it bluntly, sexual way rather than the birth. Do you under, I'm being delicate, but yeah, I hope no, you No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. This is sort of what I love about when we have these podcasts with just you and I and producer Randy hanging out here. I'm just a guy asking questions. Because you, you are just a guy asking questions, and we go off on tangents from our topic and i think this is a perfectly legitimate tangent i can't answer your question brian with a yes or no or a definitive answer i think that there are men of all kinds and i think that there are men who who have are very squeamish some men don't want to be even in the delivery room they don't want to see it at all i don't know of, of you know again i'm not a marriage therapist i don't often see the couples months and years later to know whether or not it caused any problems with their marriage i don't think so i really don't i think that men who you know, I think it's part of our culture now for males to be involved in this process. Right. At least in, in you know, American culture. It's taboo still, not to be involved. Still in, like, Latino culture, the men are nowhere to be found, and that's that's t typical for them. But I think in our culture that that men can, you know, men and women probably have an opportunity to talk about this during the prenatal care part of time. It's certainly something that comes up because, we again, we focus both on the woman and the men in, in midwifery model prenatal care. But yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think that it that I could say that it's a very common thing. I'm I'm sure that maybe if it manifests itself somehow, it's more of a of a symptom of something that might be larger between the couple than that. Because you know what, if a man isn't attracted to his wife, and even more so, just enamored with the idea that she was able to give birth to the, to his offspring, 
and now he's got suddenly got a problem with that. It runs deeper than the seeing that there was some something that came out of her vagina that that, that freaked him out a little bit. Do you find, generally speaking, uh, put aside for a moment the uh, the difficulty or the soreness and and uh, ladies not having intercourse after giving birth for a while because of obviously what's happened uh, in the area in in the vaginal area, right? Okay, so I said it. I said vagina. I said vaginal market. Uh, let me ask you something. Uh, take that out of the equation. Yes. Do couples grow more sexually active, generally speaking, or are they less sexually active, generally speaking, after the birth of their first baby? Okay. Um, I can't answer that with any specificity, oh, but, I, come on. but I have an opinion. All right. All right. I think people are probably more sexually active prior to their first baby. All right. I think having and raising a child people will tell you it's exhausting and i i think that the initial well woman's breastfeeding her libido is diminished uh biologically there's a reason for that it's not helpful in a human species with a helpless baby for a woman to go out and get pregnant again and have another helpless baby and then have two helpless babies that's not good for the species and if you think back uh, ten thousand years ago there's a reason why breastfeeding is a very low hormonal state as far as uh, you know, you don't ovulate during that period of time and your estrogen is low and so you have very low libido because your male, male hormones are low. So I think the sex drive of the woman is less. I think the fatigue factor sets in and I think there's less sex. I, I can tell you that, that I've seen couples on all sides of the spectrum. I've seen people who want to get at it right away. I've seen people who, you know, they have a baby and they probably don't have sex again until they're ready to have another baby. Mm. And, uh, every, and and I would far be it from me or you or especially Randy <laughs> to have any real strong opinions one way or the other about what's right or wrong. Yeah, right. But sure. clearly, you know, most people get married because they have a physical attraction to each other. Of course. And they make that decision consciously to have a baby, although there's a lot of oopses that go on. But most most uh, first-time babies are usually planned and then so you're, you're practicing and you're having a lot of sex at that period of time. Yeah, we thank you for the questions. They all get answered, and there are more. Some of them we talk about uh, on Dr. Stu's podcast. Others, Dr. Stu uh, does respond to. Just uh, we'll get a response to you. Uh, might not hear it on the podcast, but uh, thank you. AskDrStu at gmail.com is where you send your letters. Bethany, thank you for being so honest, and I think your letter was an opportunity for other folks to learn a lot, especially given the doctor's response. And Brian, I would like to thank you for your honesty and the fact that you ask these questions and you don't ask them just to be provocative you ask them because you truly don't know this stuff and you really and you want to know and you're acting like every man and you want to know like well what would a guy think and so I, i love when you do this and i love when we have these dialogues and i hope the listeners do too well thank you and by the way sir i'm just gonna say it and i love you and i love you and it's true and we both are happy randy is back with us thank you i mean after that scene last week are you feeling all right not after that vagina talk. Oh, see, he's 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 it's he's got he needs a stronger meds. Let's, yes. We'll deal with that after. We'll deal with that. All right. Thanks for joining us on Doctor Stu's podcast. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the feed. Give him five stars. He's a doctor for crying out loud. Write him a nice review. Join us next time for Doctor Stuart Fishbine. I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for listening to Doctor Stu's podcast. Doctor Stu. 